<clears throat> Good morning, everybody, and thank you so much, Susan. Uh, I'm just pleased that you, you picked up on my uh, riffing of the kitchen metaphor. I think you explained it better than, than I had planned, so I, I really appreciate that. And, and I mean it. It's, it's really fantastic um, to be back among friends with Maricopa. And when I found out that the organizers were the Center for Learning Instruction, where um, I launched my career, <laughs> I was even more tickled. And, and it was an instant yes when asked to do this. And I'll say, I'll give also like my friend Cyan, I just like ramble about my Maricopa experience. I see John Gibson out there. Good to see you. Um, but we're here to talk um, not just about kitchens, but this project that I've been involved with um, on BC campus. And be, before I start, I just want to say I moved to uh, Canada three years ago, and it's, it's Mort Lac, um, which technically means Dead Lake. I don't know that story, but that's a diversion there. Um, but I'm in central Saskatchewan, kind of due north of eastern uh, Montana. And it's a little cold here, but it's sunny. And I know it's definitely a little bit warmer down there. So I hope everybody's comfortable. Ready for this? Uh, I don't really follow scripts. Uh, I'm not going to use slide decks. I'm going to my presentations live on the web uh, because um, that that little Mac that I plugged into the office at MCLI that started this whole career uh, has been um, still is as exciting as it was uh, when we first discovered. So, um, if anybody has anything you want to interject or um, or suggest, please put it in the comments. I, I will see the comments. And Debbie and, and Cyan will, will relay them to me. I like to be interrupted. I like to be informal. And yes, I am in my kitchen. Uh, it's not just a cliche. Frankly, um, I've always worked um, since I've been working online. Um, I have like an office somewhere in the house, but I always work at the kitchen. I like the big table. I think I like being near the food and the coffee pot. Um, that's like the most important thing. So uh, we're going to get started here uh, with the stuff I want to show, and hopefully we'll get some good discussion going. I uh, just want to let you know, um, and thank you, Matthew, for acknowledging the, the lands in Arizona. Uh, I, I am here on traditional lands known as uh, Treaty 4, is the way the land was sort of taken from the original owners, uh, but it's the original homelands of the... Um, <laughs> of the uh, Saltu, uh, Dakota, Lakota, Dakota, and the Métis people. And um, I just feel like uh, I'm, I'm a guest in this country and everybody in this country is a guest on this land. And so it's really good that we've taken this practice uh, of acknowledging. So I'm going to start the old sharing process uh, right here. Uh, yes, there are uh, screens and slides. So you should be seeing the... The kitchen, the website. So um, you're going to find everything uh, that I'm presenting here. Uh, someone will probably hopefully put that web address in the, the chat. I like to present from the web uh, because I like to show things that are on the web and I like to provide you um, something um, that's going to be here uh, after the web. So anyhow, we've already started with this idea um, of the metaphor and um, I get rather... Um, <laughs> I get rather sometimes too uh, much uh, with uh, carried away with my metaphors. You can go overboard with metaphors. Metaphors can cause problems. Metaphors can be confusing, but I've always found it really helpful. And so that was one of the first things that came up uh, when I came onto this project that I'm going to talk about. But um, first, I just want to ask, and um, we don't have full chat participation, but for my sake, um, when I show you these pictures of rooms that 
I would bet everybody has in their house. Um, what are some of the characteristics, if you can put in the chat? Um, you know, Susan already hinted at, at some of them. Like, why, why are kitchens, um, I mean, besides the fact that we make our food there, um, why are kitchens, what are the characteristics of these spaces? And why, in particular, would they be useful for talking about this? And, and uh, definitely, John, you got my first favorite one. It can be messy. Um, you know, they're not all the same. You know, the one on the top right looks like it came out of a catalog, right? What, what are some other things about kitchens that make it um, special? Right, Cindy? From cooking with ingredients. Um, yeah, we try recipes. Oh, you guys are good at this. Um, so I will say that I am maybe I started cooking maybe 10 years ago. Um, I have a couple of my mom's recipes uh, but I've learned most of my um, cooking from experimentation, uh, which is an important aspect, I think, um, and from the Internet. And this aspect of um, we generally start from ingredients and when we make OERs. Uh, yeah, Kathy, nurture experience. Yeah, it's um, uh, I like that a system where everything goes, Linda. Um, the whole experimentation um, is that um, it's a place we try things and it's okay to mess up. Um, you know, my dad always told me, he wasn't in the kitchen, but in his workshop, he always says, never, never be afraid to make a mess, Alan, because you can always clean it up. And so um, kitchens are messy, um, and, but they're also a place where we try things. And in terms of cooking, uh, I would say, uh, yeah, oh, that's beautiful, Mike. I like your comments better than mine. Common appliances, but many different features placed strategically based on the floor plan. Different in every kitchen. So we have some of the same items in every kitchen, uh, but they're never really in the same place. Um, the, the new house I moved in has a big, much bigger space, and we're not bumping into each other trying to get into the fridge and the dishwasher at the same time. I love the, the idea of fusion of, of two cultures. Um, so everybody, thanks for playing along uh, with Alan's metaphor game. Uh, and, and this came up, um, and, and I'll acknowledge right on this project I'm doing that I'm going to talk about, I'll talk about the organization, is with BC Campus that provides support for higher education across the province of British Columbia. And when my colleague and friend Clint Lalonde, um, who is responsible for bringing me onto this project, uh, brought me on, we started right away talking. I said, Clint, I need a metaphor. And so we sort of felt like this idea um, for supporting faculty doing this development work with in uh, updating and fusing textbooks with interactive activities, the kitchen really worked. Um, whether it's important or not, you know, we could debate that, but I won't. Um, so there's a thing about recipes, and I don't know this, so this picture I have on top actually has one of my mom's recipe for a kugel. Um, and to me, that was what I always thought of recipes. It's like an index card. And basically, it's the ingredients and the instructions, and that's it. But, you know, as, you know, we started, like, collecting cookbooks. Uh, cookbooks usually start out with nice, beautiful pictures of, um, you know, what you're going to cook. And then when I started going online to find recipes, what I found is, like, there are paragraphs of, like, people telling stories. There were videos. And the recipe is, like, way down the page. So 
Before I even start talking about this H5P and this project I'm going to talk about, I want to show you one of the um, outcomes from our first uh, finished project, which is a textbook on um, measuring uh, vital signs in the health industry. So uh, what you see here, I'm going to do a comparison, is the version of a fantastic online textbook before, and it had a case study. It's probably too small to read, but it presented the information on the case study in text and then the sort of the interactive part was just a series of questions on the next page that students were just asked to think about or maybe write their answers um, um, off page. And so the whole idea, and this is the new version of this case study, and this is, again, it's just a screenshot, so you can't see all the interactivity, um, is that the information is presented, uh, actually just in that top little slide presentation, but embedded within that are interactive questions, uh, things to practice as students um, are understanding and analyzing the data for this case study. And they do it right here within the textbook interface. And then they work with actual um, kind of graph charts that are used in vital sign measurement. And so the whole idea of this project is to take these great open textbooks and add things within the, the context um, of the content that will help students practice and reinforce their understanding. Um, and so uh, I have just a little screenshot, the vital sign measurement across the lifespan. The first one uh, was a project from Ryerson University in Ontario. And just to say again, the whole idea of OERs is that that book, like most great open textbooks, freely open license. So it has been um, imported into the BC campus library and it's been used for a while. And that was the basis for a new version that uh, the team uh, that we funded um, working last summer and into the fall um, went through to add these H5P elements. So if you come back to the site, you can compare the textbooks. Um, there's some links where you can see all the H5P content. So that's all exciting, right? But okay, a little play on what here. On, um, so um, I can't ever be serious. So um, do you really need a recipe to boil water? Hopefully not. Um, but um, I hopefully with the audience, do I really need to provide a definition of what OERs are? And so if I do, well, I'm going to say like, uh, well, if I really need to provide definition, maybe I have some low. Um, I, got, um, I got the wrong answer. So I would like to say, Alan doesn't need to provide a definition of OER. Hopefully you know what it is. If not, ask each other in the chat. Um, I couldn't resist throwing a Monty Python animated GIF in there. It has no um, real uh, meaning here. Um, and what I've added are a couple H5P um, interactive things that are built by some other people. And that's some of the things I want to emphasize here is that this content is pretty modular and you can take what someone else has created, you can put it into your own projects, you can remix them, you can change them. And these are really the essence of OER. And so um, this is one of the H5P um, interactive things called Drag the Words. And you can more or less, I'm gonna get it wrong on purpose. Um, so this is a play of like reinforcing of what the five R's are. And I did pretty bad on this, so don't tell David Wiley on me, but um, I actually do know these. Um, and then just to show, um, there's one of these um, memory games. Um, I have to admit, I'm not even too sure. <laughs> uh, I see the, the intrinsic value of memory game activities, but there is probably a purpose um, in this. 
Um, I'm doing something secretive here, um, which you probably may already have caught on to. Um, but just to introduce you uh, to the BC Campus Organization, again, um, serving the entire province of British Columbia. And if you think Arizona is big, um, I run it through this uh, map fight, a uh, little site that lets you compare uh, the country area. So um, it's a little bit bigger than Arizona. And BC Campus is providing um, support for higher educators across the province. It's an incredible, it's government supported. Um, they're providing them not only like technology in terms of platforms, um, but also like networking, um, um, uh, a um, open textbook project and the projects that I've been involved with and really connecting people on a pedagogical level. Um, so uh, if you want to learn more, you can go back here and you can find out information about BC Campus. Um, the work I've been involved with is under uh, the arm. They do a lot of things, not just tech, but these are open education projects that they've done. Um, they have a big um, effort in um, open textbooks um, like um, you know, Maricopa and University of Arizona and Arizona State are already doing um, where um, they are making open textbooks available. They're saving money to students. Faculty are able to customize materials. And BC Campus is doing this on a rather major scale. And um, like the results that we've seen go on, it's already saving students millions of dollars, which is great. But more importantly, um, giving them something that is probably a little bit more uh, meaningful and related to um, Arizona or British Columbia students than necessarily what a giant textbook publisher can provide. So the work that I'm on, uh, been working with, um, with Clint Lalonde over the last year is a new project called Open Homework Systems. Now, um, this was a little bit news to me because I haven't been with an institution for a while, but you know, textbook publishers, I don't know, are they feeling the pinch of open you know, textbooks? I would like to think so. Are they feeling the pinch of students like not wanting to pay $300 for a book? Um, so they're trying to like expand their market into this thing called these homework systems. And so now quite often students are required to purchase for some fees access to these test banks and practice exercises. So um, BC Campus is funding uh, an effort to sort of develop um, approaches, maybe not platforms, for um, doing this in a more open manner, just as we've been very successful in open textbooks and kind of cracking that financial burden on students, but also at the same time, maybe providing them better um, and more meaningful practice problems. And so I worked with Clint last year. We were evaluating a couple different math um, open homework system platforms. Um, one, which I believe is, is going hopefully into its adoption phase. And this project that I'm here to talk to you about was kind of meant to go across more disciplines than math. Math, of course, has got a lot of things that are very special to math, and there's been a lot of development in uh, sort of banks of math problems. But maybe there's not as much for things like psychology and philosophy and history and language and geology. Well, Cyan's been doing all the geology stuff, but that's another story. So um, what we've been doing that came under a project um, last year is to um, offer some grants uh, for uh, development time. And we had, uh, I forget how many applications we had last spring. Uh, we funded five um, up to $10,000 uh, to do these multi-team, um, multi-participant projects and often crossing different institutions. 
um, to use uh, this H5P platform that I'm going to talk to you about to build interactive problems that would provide this sense of practice um, within open textbooks into five already existing open textbooks. So it's going to be somewhat taking a great textbook that's very useful and make it even better with these interactive um, applications. But because they're granular, as you see, they could ultimately go into some database or go into some system that would allow um, teachers to access a whole bank of these types of, of problems. And we'll see some of those more details as we go along. Um, one of the important things, and, and we, we tried to emphasize this as we've gone along, is that we're, we're talking here, and a lot of times, and even what we see uh, people in our project teams doing, um, the things that seem, you know, that we're comfortable doing is like you put something at the end of a chapter or at the end of a section, um, some little quiz questions, multiple choice, true and false, those drag the words, as sort of like a little kind of self-check, like an examination. And that's good. And that will provide students practice in uh, re-processing um, and putting together what they've read above or in previous chapters. But we're also really interested in things that will give students like hands-on practice applying some of this. So um, getting creative with, and you'll see when you look at the vital signs thing, is like um, they're actually interactive things where you see the actual process that um, healthcare uh, professionals have to do, um, where it's really important to understand how to do these things where they're dealing with patients. Um, and it's a chance for them to practice their understanding of these important key skills in the context of the books. So let's just get on to the meat um, and talk about this H5P thing. Um, it is not a sauce, just to be clear. That's just a little bit of graphic um, remixing. And um, I will bet like a fair number of people may be using this, they may be experienced in it, but uh, not to get too definitional, but um, this has been a platform that's been around for eight, nine years, came out of Norway. Um, the important thing is the H5P um, really means HTML5, which sounds very techy, um, but um, what we're talking about here is that this is like modern web standards for presenting multimedia interactive application. So anybody who has been feeling the last years who did work earlier with um, Adobe Flash, which now is completely gone, um, is that we get tied into bad situations when we're stuck with a particular platform. So one of the reasons that we're most um, interested in H5P is that this is web standard stuff, so it's not gonna break. It should work, like when HTML5 stops working, um, we're really um, in a problem. So um, I have a little interactive uh, thing here with hotspots, which is one of these great H5P things that you can put into your content. Um, so as we look at these different tools, and you're gonna see 41 of them, um, and it gets a little bit dizzying. It's like when you open that kitchen drawer and you see all those implements. Um, but some of these are familiar, and you'll see like true-false questions and multiple choice, but um, being able to do hotspot stuff isn't always something that we have available in our uh, authoring and LMS systems. Um, so um, again, what um, this means is that this stuff is not only gonna work um, whether you know platforms go away or not, it's also not tied to a platform. So you're gonna see that um, H5P, you can author it, 
um, in WordPress, in Drupal, in the Pressbooks platform that we're going to see. Um, when, in my workshop, you're actually going to see this exciting thing that is a desktop application. So you can create H5P in many things and the interface is always the same. It's just sitting inside some other system. So the authoring is always the same. What you produce is also standalone and you can take it and move it elsewhere. And that's very exciting again, because we're not locked into a platform. So we can use H5P um, in any kind of site. Um, it offers the ability uh, to reuse uh, content um, that could be remixed. It, it comes in this thing and it sounds mysterious, H5P file format. I'm going to reveal what that means in a second. Um, it also works very well on mobile. So it is responsive uh, design. So it's not tied to a particular screen, um, et cetera. And um, it does a lot. You'll see when you get into the authoring that there's always a place for images and video for um, alternative text that meets, um, for the most part, accessibility standards. Um, and it also has built into it, which is very important, um, that it carries metadata with it, mean information about it, which is not only, um, and I'm going to show you right here, um, it gives you um, rights of use for, I've entered the information for different images that I've used, and then there is an overall um, um, uh, Creative Commons license that you can put on your material that makes it clear um, as to how it can be uh, used. Um, and the other important thing is that um, reuse, you know, that thing that's the third letter of, oh no, it isn't, but it's in the five R's. Um, so uh, on the reuse, um, you can actually um, download this as an HP file that you can re-import elsewhere. And I can see, I forgot to check a box. Um, there should be, oh, it's probably the other tab here. There it is, embed. So you can actually put this interface that I created into any other site where you can put an iframe code. And uh, we'll get into that in a second. So um, when you get into H5P, again, to me, it's, um, okay, we're gonna go back to the kitchen, you know, back there. Okay, you look at all these tools and you say, okay, how am I gonna, you know, use this tool to work on my class materials or my textbook? That's like going in the kitchen and pulling open the drawer or opening the cabinet and looking at all your appliances and like, okay, I want to make something good. Should I use the mixer or should I use, you know, the Vitamix or should I use the blender? Um, that's not how you cook. You cook, you, you know what you want to make in advance. You think about it, you design it, and then you go and grab the tools. So I know you can't see these, but um, just to give you a sense that there are 41 different um what they call content types, sometimes I'll call them tools, of things you can create with the H5P platform. And so I'm actually using one here, it's called Agamotto, um, which lets you go uh, through a series of images. And so for our project, because we're focused on ones that could be practiced, there are some tools in there that are really useful that are just content related things that like create little open and fold accordions or stuff that lets you do image comparisons, um, which I've already showed you, um, but they don't really give you feedback. So we narrowed down the list of suggested tools to ones that have built in uh, feedback because that's really critical for practice problems is giving constructive feedback. Um, and then we narrowed it down a bit more. Um, we took away the ones 
that didn't require that didn't meet fully meet accessibility um, standards. Um, they are very diligent about that, but there's a couple that still have some problems, and and they're working on it. And again, for our um, grant awardees, these are suggestions. These are said we think, and these are the reasons why you should like focus on these particular tools. But we didn't restrict people from using the other ones. And actually, when I saw the projects, they made very creative use of some of the other tools that weren't strictly, um, uh, didn't have strictly uh, feedback built into them. Um, so I have a whole post on our kitchen website um, where I talked about different ways to look at these uh, tools. Um, I found some other resources that kind of put them on a matrix matrix depending on complexity of the thing that they can do versus the time it will take um, to either um, use it or to create with it. So that may help you understand it better. Um, and they're not all the same. So they're very simple tools in H5P, you know, a true and false. It takes about three minutes or five minutes to create a true and false question. There's not too many things to enter. But there are more complex tools like the interactive video that you'll see is you take an existing video, you put stop points in it, and you can put in things like um, a drag the word exercise, a summary exercise. And so they're almost like compound tools. So you end up using smaller H5P tools within a larger complex system. And so that means that when you're just counting the number of H5P things in a textbook, like the count doesn't really mean because there's really simple small ones that are just like a spatula and there's very complex ones like a, a, a fancy um, food processor. Um, and here's another HYP uh, that I found that's really interesting. And so um, sometimes I'm, I'm skeptical. Sometimes we go overboard with the periodic table of everything. Um, I studied science. I love the periodic table. It has real meaning to the columns and rows, but this was really beautifully done. Um, by Stuart Mueller. Um, and so it's a way to sort of look um, at the different tools. And they, he has it arranged from easy to create to some work required to significant effort. And for each one, um, the column tool or collage tool um, gives you some ideas about what you might want to do um, and suggest uh, uses. Um, and so you can go back to here. Um, and so like uh, the most complex tools uh, here are, are one of them, the interactive video. Um, and again, if you're really trying to get a sense about what the tools could use, this might be a really useful resource. The best thing is, again, going meta, this is created in H5P. Okay, this is what's known as the uh, course presentation tool. So you can use it for as simple as creating things that you navigate back and forth, but you can also build hyperlinks that jump from one screen to another. You can embed little quizzes or practice problems or interactive feedback within this course presentation tool. So this is like way beyond uh, what PowerPoint can do. So I will leave you with some more information. Um, the best place to learn about H5P is from the h5p.org site. They have intensive documentation. Um, it's actually built into the tool as well. They have examples for all the tools that can help you understand um, what they can do. Um, and one of the things that we'll do um, in my workshop next week, but that we introduce to our folks is like, if you're just starting on this, you wanna get an idea about what's possible. Um, and so how do you find some good examples? Like, you know, where are the big collections? And so there's a few out there. Um, and I have a blog post that has this um, on our kitchen site that explains this. Um, eCampus Ontario has this great H5P studio. 
Um, and it's where um, Ontario educators are allowed to um, upload and share H5P content that they've created. But the rest of the world can't upload their stuff, but they can use and access and download the things that they find there. And there's great search filters. So you can search um, by the type of tool. So if you want to look at examples of I don't know what this Agamotto does, or I don't know what Drag the Words does. So I can look at different examples within one tool, or you could say like, I'm looking to see what's out there um, for accounting or French literature. So you can search by subject. So eCampus Ontario is a great way to look at different examples of, of um, there's a couple, I don't know, maybe a few thousand last time I checked. Um, another fantastic one is the Pressbooks directory. I saw it mentioned in the chat already. Um, it has an ability to filter by discipline um, and provider, but also you can um, say, um, show me all the uh, press books um, in their directory that have more than 50 and less than 200 H5P interactive things in it. And so I did that early on as I was trying to scout what different people were doing. Um, and then in my workshop, I'm going to show you Alan's URL trick. Um, so I'm going to save that one. That's my teaser and so the workshop might be considered like a dessert. So I hope you're doing okay with this. I'm not really, I don't have my uh, chat thing visible, but I'm gonna trust that Cyan's gonna tell me to shut up if there's a good question coming in. Um, but again, to think of, okay, okay. Yeah, I can blab for a long time. They're gonna have to yank me off the stage here. Um, but, Think about H5P as what you create. Um, I tried to make, again, this metaphor. Um, when you think about creating a PNG image, right? So there's lots of tools you can create it with. You know, you can do it with Photoshop, you can do it with Paint, you can create them online, but the file is always the same. You can take that file, you can put it to your LMS, you can put it to your website, you can send it a text message, you can put it into an email. So that's a self-contained independent piece of media. Well, H5P is actually the same thing. So um, I have here, this is a screenshot of one of my uh, little H5P uh, things um, where I talk about uh, kitchen drawers. What, what it is doesn't really matter. So this is, what you see when you look at something that's H5P. And frankly, like as a learner, you don't really care if it's H5P. You just get to practice um, this true or false ridiculous question that I put out here. Um, but when you're creating, um, this is using WordPress. And so um, if you have your own WordPress site that you host on your own domain, you can install a plugin that gives you the authoring interface to create H5P. And so that stuff is on the black. That's the WordPress stuff on the left. Um, when you use Pressbooks, which is also WordPress, it's red and it's got different menus item on the left. When you use Drupal, the interface looks different. When you use this, uh, if you have H5P enabled in your Moodle or Blackboard or um, other LMS instance, the things around it look the same. But this part here of editing H5P is always the same, and that's really important. And there's some good things here that people often miss, is that in each tool on the top left, I don't know if you can see my mouse, there's a tutorial, like it's built into the tool. It takes you to the h5p.org site, 
and it gets you information on how to use the true and false question. And it has examples as well that you can look at right within the tool. Um, and then pretty, yeah. Yay! Yay. Yes. Yeah. Oh, those are great questions. Well, there are not giant comprehensive libraries. Um, so I showed and I talked very quickly. I didn't really show them. Uh, we'll do this in the workshop next Friday. Uh, we actually go to this um, H5P studio uh, from eCampus Ontario. Um, and we can also go through the Pressbooks directory. There are two places that I found. Um, there's some Google search tricks that you can do. Um, but um, the H5P platform itself is, um, and we had um, the founder of H5P do a webinar with us and he gave us a preview on it. It should be out soon. And so there's going to be a OER repository of H5P content where the metadata that I described is going to include things like um, uh, a level of education, whether it's like higher ed or secondary school, subject, et, et cetera, and, and sort of a tagging. So there is going to be a giant OER database built into this publishing tool. So when I'm editing and I go to save my H5P thing, it's going to ask me, do you want to share this in the H5P um, OER resource directory? So um, there is, I can't say when, they're kind of like vague about defining. And um, if you go to h5p.org, you'll find a link and it'll say like um, the OER, OER hub is 90% done. So you know that saying about the last 10% of a project, but um, it's in the works. So, um, and that will be a place where you'll be able to both find and um and post and share. Um, and I'm glad you're really interested in sharing your work because that's really important. For now, it's not really widely available. So maybe it's something, you know, the Arizona OER, you know, educators want to think about some way um, to, to make a collection of these because they're just files. I mean, you could stick them in some shared drive. You could think about some way um, to build a collection. Um, I really wouldn't go to necessarily building anything complex because I think the H5P um, OER hub is going to more or less take care of that. Does that answer the question, Sam? A free self-hosted. So you have to have a domain where you install WordPress. Um, it's not available on WordPress.com um, because um, that you're getting for free and you're getting all their advertisements and upsells. Um, it's not a plugin that they provide if you're on WordPress.com. But if you um, have your own version of WordPress or some of your institutions might have a, a shared one that's made available for faculty. Um, and you might have to ask them, hey, can we get this H5P plugin <laughs> added to us? Um, the plugin is free, it's open source, but it has to be a version of WordPress that either you or someone that you work with 
can um, add the plugin to the, the install. So no, not WordPress.com unless you pay for one of their, their overpriced business plans. Oops. Really, if you want to do this on your own, go to Reclaim Hosting, get your own domain. It's, it's so cheap. And what you get in terms of your freedom to be able to do your own work. That's my, my, my pitch for um, get your own domain. Anything else, Diane? Okay, so I mean, you'll see you know, the interface um, and you'll see more of that in the workshop next week. But here's something else, okay. What the heck is an H5P file? So you can download and export these things and you get them on your desktop, .h5p. Um, well, it's actually just a zip file. <laughs> They're very clever. So I changed the file name on my extension to .zip and I open it up and I see a whole bunch of stuff and I'm looking at that and it's like, I don't know what that is, but basically that is HTML5. It's this JSON, which is some JavaScript data files. It's got the media in the images and then it's got some of the different um, tools that are used within this. But basically H5P is just a collection of other web files that are shoved into one archive, if you will. And that makes it so it can move around the web easily, just like you do with other types of media. Um, so if you're like me and like to poke around your file system, go ahead and do this. I don't know whether that's very useful, but I just want you to understand that what you create with an H5P editor, whether it's in WordPress, whether it's on h5p.org where you can try it out, um, whether you use, um, and what we're doing in the workshop, I'm gonna show you this desktop application, you create an H5P file. And then once you have that, if you have a tool, um, whether it's Pressbooks or WordPress or Drupal or Moodle that has the H5P plugin, you import in this H5P content and you, then you start changing it or modifying or just using it. Um, so again, uh, Pressbooks, um, there's not just one kind of peanut butter. There's creamy Pressbooks and extra crunch. No, there's not. <laughs> um, I'm not gonna, um, I would like to think a lot of people know what Pressbooks is here. There's a fair bit of use. I know it's already in use at Maricopa and ASU and U of A and probably a couple other places. Um, in the state and beyond. Um, but there is a relationship with WordPress. So Pressbooks is actually built on top of WordPress. So um, if you know WordPress, you can look in and some things are very familiar. It's got a lot of customization and it's red instead of black. Um, and so knowing WordPress can help you a little bit, but it's not really important. It's not critical for using Pressbooks. Uh, but H5P, I believe, is usually built in. And so you create H5P within your Pressbooks editor, and then you include it in your content. So Pressbooks is like WordPress, like souped up, like jacked up and has big motors and, and crazy mufflers and shiny paint job on it. Uh, that's a bad metaphor, but um, so, uh, but Pressbooks is like, is like probably one of the most important things out there. It's not the only open textbook platform. OpenStax is fantastic and keep your eye out on LibreText. Um, but uh, there's a lot of use of Pressbooks, um, a lot of great things that faculty are already doing. Um, they're easy to move and ship around and, and to make your own version and redeploy. Um, there's a little bit of parallel with WordPress.com as well. So as I was just explaining, um, Pressbooks and WordPress platform itself, technically they're open source. They're free software. And if you can deal with getting a hosting, setting it up, installing, configuring, managing all the updates, 
you can do that and not pay anybody. Um, but that's a big headache. And, you know, most people don't want to deal with running servers and you know, patches and plugins and configuring. So Pressbooks, like WordPress, has a .com. And for free, you can get started. You can try some things. I know some people who do some small publishing on the free Pressbook dot, uh, Pressbooks.com account. It, it has some limits, just like WordPress com does and they are certainly willing to take a little bit of money to give you more features and you can go that way but also um, a lot of institutions um, have their own version of uh, press books available just for their organization um, you know I know Maricopa does and you know BC campus runs one um, and what that means is anybody from your institution um, with their authentication, likely can go in and create and start developing or use their own press books. And, and that is fantastic. That's probably the best thing. So you don't, you don't have to worry about, um, you know, managing open source software and you don't have to worry um, about all the updates um, and someone's taking care of it. Um, but at the same time, you have this access to use it. And generally, that also will mean that unlike going to WordPress.com, um, you're not dealing with ads um, and third-party commercial services uh, running your content. Um, and that matters to me. So let's talk about this project. I've been babbling on about H5P and, and projects. So um, we had this development grant, and I'm going to do really bad here in getting uh, the uh, books lined up. Um, see, I told you I stink at this page. So uh, we have, um, I'm going to get this wrong, uh, Writing for Success. That's a project that Thompson Rivers uses and Douglas Project. Concepts of Biology. See, I stink at this. Uh, tourism, Concepts of Biology. I thought I could do this faster. Um, Quantum Polytech and Camus Sun. Um, th and so these all started um, with existing um, uh, press books and I already talked about the vital sign and we have one also um, on tourism and hospitality so these were the five projects it took me 29 seconds to do it good work that's not really great feedback by the way <laughs> I'll just let you know um, but those were the funded projects they started in July um, they were originally scheduled through December the vital signs project is done um, and has been moved over and is available now in BC campus. And it's, you can go in there right away and start using or looking at that example. Um, the psychology one and the biology one are almost ready. They're in their final polishing stages uh, to get moved to be the public versions of those textbooks. Um, and then the tourism one and the writing one, um, the authors, you know, we know there's a pandemic going on. So what happens with deadlines? We get very human and understanding with them. So they are due to be uh, finished and put in the public collection sometime after mid-March. So um, we're going to have five new versions of existing textbooks that are now infused with technology. So um, we have a post about the projects and what was done. We created this website. I don't need to show you that, but just some of the elements that, that we put into place to support this project was a kitchen space. So I had this idea um, and BC um, educators have access. This is great. Um, there is an open edu ed tech co-op at opened.ca. Um, and it is offering uh, WordPress platforms, um, collaboration space, and a, and a bunch of web tools uh, free for any um, post-secondary educator in the province of British Columbia. 
Like, so I remember when I was at Arizona, we used to say how hard it was to collaborate with other institutions in the state. Remember how big you know, BC campus or British Columbia is? Um, it is able to collaborate on that scale, but I'm not going to get into the history and politics there. But um, more or less, this is it. Uh, yeah. Yay! <laughs> Uh, yeah, the um, the H five P thing itself, like when it's published. Let me find one back here. Um, that one isn't. So there is an embed code for any H five P content you create. Um, that is a decision that the author makes. A few of them don't allow you to embed, but for the most part, they do. So this is HTML code. You can put this into a plain web page. You can put it into your WordPress site. You can put it, I believe, into most LMSs. So you can put um, the H5P widgets or tools um, into any place. You can put um, one of these iframe codes. Um, and that, that, again, is very versatile. So one way you can use H5P is you don't have to create a darn thing. You just find other ones out there that work for you. You put it into your press books or your LMS and you put the context around it that makes it sense, you know, sense of it. And so, you know, we're, we're now going to like, you know, do some interactive, you know, um, uh, explorations of a scenario of what could go wrong in a kitchen. <laughs> and then there's your H5P thing. The same way you use YouTube, right? You take someone else's YouTube, it makes sense for your content, and you embed it in the context of your content. Does that make sense? Okay. Thank you. Yep. I believe uh, Canvas um, requires like whoever's running your Canvas to install a plugin that does the integration. Um, and, and there are some, there's like the basic functionality of the H5P authoring um, that can be built in directly into Canvas. Um, but again, if your Canvas doesn't have it, but if you can put um, iframe codes into Canvas pages, which I believe you can do, you can author elsewhere in H5P and embed something into your Canvas. Um, and if you go to the real high end of Canvas interoperability, this is the whole thing that has like LTI integration where you can actually, um, if you devise some H5P elements that do some scoring, you can actually pass back grades to your scoring system. Um, that's kind of like the deluxe cooking version. Uh, so, uh, that's great. So the other thing that, that we that we have as part of this project, uh, within terms of this um, open ed co-op, um, educators have the ability to use a platform called Mattermost, which is more or less an open source version of what Slack and Microsoft Teams do. So we have a community collaboration space that we use to support our project members. So rather than just emailing me or Clint and saying, oh, I can't do this, or where am I gonna find this? We wanted to create, um, that kind of kitchen space where you could wander in and find someone else cooking and talk about um, what you're doing. Um, and then we also had a series of uh, webinars, um, live web broadcast, and, and so we brought in practitioners and some experts 
just to give ideas. And with all of this, um, my little attempt to be um, metaphoric again, um, initially the first two webinars were because we were just kind of, you know, forming our group and understanding. They were limited to people on the project, as was the Mattermost community. And then what we did afterward is we opened it up. So we set it up so anybody could join our Mattermost community if they're interested in H5P. Um, anybody can come to our webinars. And so we had up to like 270 people for the one in October. And so, you know, we really wanted to sort of take this idea about like starting off with our group a little bit more cozy in the kitchen and then throwing open the French doors and inviting everybody in here. So um, I know I'm getting close to my time when I'm gonna get a warming. So just wanna let you know that some of the things that we do in terms of resources, um, like when I started this and I was looking for great HTML tutorials, uh, HTML, uh, H5P tutorials, you find people just like reiterating um, the ones that come from H5P.org, just listing links of other tutorials. So I, I didn't wanna do that. Um, there, so, uh, what we've been doing is just publishing some, uh, periodic tips and things that we thought were going to be useful. Um, so very early on, we wanted to think about people like, um, practices for doing good, uh, multiple choice questions. Uh, we took an open license, uh, resource from Vanderbilt university and sort of republished some highlights on it. And I converted all their examples to H5P. So you can actually see the examples they talk about demonstrated with H5P elements. I thought that was kind of clever, but I don't know if anybody caught on to me. Um, we had a lot of discussion. We wanted people to think about um, using feedback within the H5P um, tool because, um, you know, just saying like, great job, like, <laughs> like you just saw mine or you got it right. In a way that's helpful, but you know, there's going to be times when you do want to do more. You want to provide some guidance as to when someone doesn't get the answer you were looking for, as to how they could reinforce that in practice, or if they need to say like, "Oh, maybe you should go back to chapter two point two and review the section on you know, um, you know, sticking the needle in someone's arm." <laughs> Again, I can't do the best examples, and um, and so I did some work uh, looking at. I spent some time at those different um, H5P collections looking at examples, and I found about high, upward of 80% of them never use the feedback tools in H5P that are available. Um, they just go with the default, and some of it is because it's exactly not always visible within the tool where you do that, and so, but I think also that, um, you know, and it, maybe it makes more sense when you're giving a practice thing, just to let people go through a couple times and get the practice. Um, and I saw in, in our psychology uh, project where uh, Simon um, had set it up so you can almost create like in one of the tools, like a little um, test bank. So he has like 16 questions, but they're randomized. And so students might get three at a time. So they could retake again. And so sometimes just right, wrong, correct, incorrect, can be helpful um, if sort of like the the context that it's presented is like, if you're not getting this right, maybe you should do this, or maybe you should go back and, and refer to this section to check your understanding. Um, another issue that came up was one of the great tools in H5P is this interactive video um, that I talked about. And, uh, and so it works easiest with YouTube, like everybody knows what YouTube is. And, um, so there's a lot of videos that you can use. Um, but one of our um, project participants wrote Mattermost and says, um, 
I don't like that thing in YouTube where it pops up suggested videos at the end. I've been really stung in class where they suggested things that weren't quite appropriate. And I bet there's people in this room who have had that happen. Um, and so within the interactive video tool, you don't have to use YouTube. It's not the only option. And so BC educators, again, um, through this collaborative uh, sort of product, uh, most institutions have as, um, aspect, access to Kaltura, Kaltura um, which is sort of like a media server. And so you can use Kaltura hosted videos in H5P. Um, it's just a little bit trickier to get the exact web address it needs. So we went through some experimentation to sort of make it easier um, to help people find out. Um, and then when you're using Kaltura video, first of all, you're not relying on a third party a uh, commercial country which has other vested interest in people watching their videos and they shove recommendations at the end of the videos that you really don't want to see. Um, but you can also feel a little bit better about using video that's hosted on a, um, a shared uh, resource site and you know who's like running the shop there. Um, we did a couple, we had a couple people look at accessibility. So there's the whole web accessibility bit. But what's really important is that Pressbooks um, can offer export options um, for interactive uh, PDFs, so you can view them on a device. Um, and then you can have print-only PDFs. And so how do you deal with H5P content in those uh, uh, cases? Because in the, um, inter the um, sort of PDF where you can still click on links, you can't embed the interactive um, H5P element, what you get is a link where they can go and view it um, on the Pressbook site. But that doesn't work for someone who's in low connectivity situations. So um, we had to sort of like try to come up with some suggestions and it's still not perfect to think about like, what if someone is using, and you know this, I'm sure as well as anybody else, is that there are people who are gonna be using real printed out versions of these textbooks because they live or work in places where they don't have the internet connectivity to go into, um, to be able to, to actually say like, oh, I have this now exercise I'm supposed to do, I can just you know enter this web address and go online. Well, what if there is no online? So we're looking more hard at that issue and there are some possibilities with some <coughs> standalone H5P players that could actually be viewed without an internet connection, um, but that's a little bit experimental. Um, did a write-up on branching scenarios, which is a very powerful tool that you have available in H5P, very powerful, complex to edit. Um, a lot of times H5P, uh, I saw where people were doing these um, images that were like really uh, vertically oriented and what happens on a, on a screen is you can't scroll up and down. So um, I wrote a little guide to understand what you can do to sort of change the aspect ratio so it fits the screen better. Um, we had to do a little bit um, of reinforcement about what metadata means because um, uh, everybody knows it's important and no one likes entering metadata. I hate entering metadata, but um, it is important. Um, just to give you a sense about the Mattermost environment, it looks like Slack. It looks like the other ones. Um, you've got teams and channels and people send messages and you can send private messages. But we have a whole space um, for BC education. And actually, you can join our community as well if you want to come in this place. Um, so uh, they really believe, we really believe in openness. Um, just the webinars that we ran July, uh, we had Josie Gray from uh, BC campus who's an accessibility um, 
st- uh, specialist. So we, she talked a lot about some of the issues that you deal with in Pressbooks. Uh, in August, um, we had instructional designers, uh, J.R. Dingwell and Julie Meyer from University of Saskatchewan, who gave a fantastic presentation on like the, the uh, instructional design of these practice problems. And, and their, um, the archive of that has a great set of examples, if you want to look at things, um, that J.R. and Julie provided. Um, in September, uh, we had uh, Kim, oh, I'm blank, Kim Carter and uh, Marie... I'm blanking on her name from Ontario who did a medical terminology textbook. And so uh, that had a lot of H5P built in within it. And so they gave a great sort of demo and talk and, and sort of like the background thinking that went into their tool choice and how they went about um, involving students in the creation of the H5P content. And so that was a great practitioner one. Um, in October, we had Sventor Griffith, who is the guy who founded and created H5P. Um, I don't know how it happened. I guess we had got some lucky connections, but he gave a great talk, gave us an overview of this OER hub. Um, all these are available as archives. We also like we make sure we capture for every webinar any links that are mentioned and any questions and answers that happen in the chat. So we think webinars need to be more than just recordings. And so I'm going to get on to very quickly um, the fact of what we did over the project is each week I would count how many H5P things were created across our five projects. And so um, within these five different textbooks, uh, we're created 813 brand new interactive activities. And um, at some point they will hopefully go into some place where they'll be in shared um, uh, collections. But within their textbook, uh, all the ones that our project participants did are um, open license and openly shareable. Um, so if you're teaching in one of these disciplines, uh, maybe uh, their example. We had our last webinar, we had each of the projects do a little overview of their project and what they learned. Fantastic session. So if you want to hear some practitioners, um, just again, to give you a quick taste about um, what happened in, with, um, this is our biology textbook. And one of the um, original co-authors, um, Charles Molnar, a, um, a biology professor at, uh, I think he's at Camison College. Um, the original book, uh, Charles had some standard embedded videos where he explained in this case, um, sort of uh, for beginning biology students, you know, the structure of molecules and the whole uh, atoms and electrons sort of thing, but he's just talking. So that's a video that you watch. So in the new one, um, they've used this interactive video tool. And so with this, you can put on the timeline certain places where the video stops and you insert a number. There's about eight or nine different interactive exercises you can do. You can insert web links. You can put up text where you want your students to stop and consider a point. And so interactive video is one of the really powerful tools that you can use, and they made great use of that. So that was before and after. And again, I'm using one of the H5P tools. This is the image comparison tool. Um, and then again, our psychology textbook, um, this was one that originally was converted from, this is an OpenStax version. And so in this um, uh, chapter on uh, uh, stages of sleep, uh, there's a lot of information, a lot of great diagrams. Um, they have linked to learning. And so in the original book, you have to go somewhere else to watch a video. 
And actually that video is not even on YouTube anymore. It says it's a private video, so I couldn't even see, you know, tell you what is in that video. Um, but what Simon's team uh, did in their interactive video, and this one, you may not be able to see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's like nine different little places where he's created this scenario. And one of his students involved in this project um, created these um, uh, cartoon characters. So they have like an example of these characters who are, um, they're, they're explaining sort of patterns of sleep between some professor who they've been measuring his squiggled sleep patterns and the student where the stops, it's got little questions where they're coming up and answering um, questions like, how do you know this is this kind of stage of sleep? You know, and so, and it's all reinforcing um, the um, explanation that came above this on the page. So um, it's taking, video is a great way to show and explain things. This is taking it to the next level is that you can <clears throat> interject um, some stop points for students to consider or to, um, to practice what they've been learning um, in this example. And now very briefly. Yes. No, I love this, Steve. I get to hear your voice. Thank you. And so, um, and actually, um, oh, ignore that. The last touches I've been added. So I actually used the branching scenario in a very crude way um, to go into. And so um, in the branching scenario, it, it's like a choose your own adventure game. And you can do very complex things and you can do some pretty simple things. So um, this is a chance again uh, to toss me a question if you like tossing pizza dough. Um, I can't really do that. So um, I've been blabbing for 45 minutes. Um, I could wait to see... Um, if um, anybody actually asked these questions or I could just show you, it, it's kind of a, a reiteration. I've already told you about, but to give you an example in the um, branching scenario, you can set out these points where you give people a number of options to choose from. And so um, this is the choose your own adventure game. So I'm gonna go to this one. Um, and so I am into a different kind of content type. Uh, this is just giving you an explanation about uh, the website that we created. Um, each one of these link icons opens actually up to those page. Um, this is a very simple uh, use of that course presentation tool. And at the very footer of our site, if you want to keep in touch with us, we have um, one of those good old-fashioned uh, forms that you can sign up to get email notifications because people read email. So do you want to toss another question? One thing about the branching scenario is it doesn't, I think it soon it will have it. It doesn't have a back button. So it's mainly meant to send you forward, but you can actually loop back if you put a little uh, extra branching question. So what's going else for the project? Well, the project was very successful. BC Campus was very happy with it. That made me happy because I get to continue working with them on this. So in December, we had another round of applications um, opened up and we had uh, we just had our meeting where we did our selection of the five projects. They're gonna start again um, in late February. And then we're gonna start again with our webinars that are open to anybody who wants to follow along. Uh, we'll be posting updates. Um, you can join our Mattermost community. And we're gonna start a new thing. This is the first time I've had a chance to talk about it. Um, I saw, um, there's a site called, what's it, eLearning Heroes. It's for people who use um, Storyline, Articulate, which are more kind of like workplace learning, um, e-learning tools. Um, but they do this great thing where they post sort of like a challenge like every week or two on their site. We're going to do two-week challenges. And we're going to say, give you a situation and say like, um, 
how would you use the H5P timeline tool to create something that wasn't a timeline or something like that? And so just a chance for people who want to take a little like um, challenge about how to do something with an H5P tool. And then we'll ask people to we'll find some way for you to share your results. And then, you know, every two weeks, we'll just put another challenge out there. And so we're just kind of interested to see um, if people can sort of like join in on the fun and say, like, this is how I might do some H5P stuff. So look for the challenges. Oh, yeah. Uh, here's uh, more or less what I just said. So we're going to go ahead. Yeah, why not another question? <laughs> oh, <laughs> looks like my, um, my logic there didn't work out. I told you I make mistakes, okay? Well, where can I learn more about making H5P? Come next Friday. We're doing a, an interactive workshop. You're not gonna listen to me blab. You're gonna create stuff with H5P. Um, we're gonna get you in a place where you can use, uh, hopefully, one of the online tools, but we're gonna ask everybody to download this new thing called Lumi, which I discovered accidentally, but you can do all your H5P authoring on a desktop computer. So you can create anything in H5P, generate one of those H5P, H5P files, and then we have to figure out, I have a couple ideas, about a way you can post them somewhere for other people to see. But mainly, um, I'm gonna set up a few practice things for you to do. So um, instead of like, oh, H5P is exciting, but what am I gonna do with all these tools? Well, for people who just wanna get started, we're gonna give you a couple starter ones that you can remix and just change some of the settings and get a feel for how it works. If you've done HIP or you're more adventurous, you can jump in and do something from scratch. So this is just gonna be an opportunity for people to do some HIP creation together, share your ideas, say like, oh, I hate this tool, or this is limited, or this is great. <clears throat> and so we're just gonna be all cooking together in the same large virtual kitchen. It's going to be messy, and it's going to be fun, and I'm going to be irreverent. And then, do you have any other questions? <laughs> wow, I really messed up my H5P branch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I feel bad. I like to have the um, interface where I can see everybody's chat together. Um, but I know there's always reasons to do webinar format. Um, but I like to have engaging, disruptive um, uh, conversations. Thank you. Uh, glad. To, oh, look, I see everybody's commentation. Thank you, Deidre. Glad you can make it. People have to run. Um, I'll ask. Um, <laughs> uh, nope. Uh, I wasn't related to Bart Levine. <laughs> Uh, well, Bart sounds like a nice guy. I did have a family in New Jersey, so maybe it's, it's there. <laughs> That's the great thing about questions. You can't really, uh, uh, you know, expect. And so I love unexpected questions. So I'll, I'll shake the family tree. I don't think there's any Barts. There, were, there was a cousin Bobby, uh, et cetera. Um, oh, there's a lot in nursing, uh, Denise. So if you don't find after, uh, contact me later. There's some great, um, H5P infused nursing textbooks. Um, there's the great, you probably know about the nursing OER uh, project. Uh, my colleague Liz Yada, who is here from uh, CCC OER, is definitely the person to ask about that. Um, she knows where everything is for um, OERs and community college educators. Um, but yeah, definitely tons for nursing. Um, and if you don't find any of these, let me know. <clears throat> 
And, and again, I'm really most excited about H5P because I've seen too many times where you get locked into a platform and it changes or it goes away and you lose your work. And that is the worst. And, you know, and that's why um, web native content is always the way to go because um, I could still send you links, I won't, to web pages I created in 1994 and they still work. They might be ugly. And they might be full of links that have broken because everybody else took away their websites. But my links still work. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll wait for uh, Debbie or someone else to uh, nudge me to the, the next piece. Uh, we're going to do a transition, right? Oh, sure. Yes. Uh, as it happens, uh, your next presenter is a colleague of mine at, at Open Education Global. And Marcella, unfortunately, has been trapped by the horrific uh, Texas, Texas ice storm. And she's been without water, power and Internet for a couple of days. So um, she was here to talk to you a little bit about Open Education Week. But um, either you lucked out or you didn't because I'm part of OE Global. And I'll just give a quick little um, run through about Open Education Week, and we would really love to see. Um, I know a lot of people here have been involved probably longer than I have um, in terms of OE Week. Um, do you want to let me share screen again so I can uh, just walk through the web pages? Um, um, but but um, more or less, uh, oh, my video's not on. Okay, there we go. Well, do you want to see me? I don't know. Um, Open Education Week has been going on since, what is it, 2013? Um, and more or less, you know, it's a week to sort of just say, like, it, um, hold something this week on your campus or um, in your local area um, that either promotes the interest in open education, um, shows projects that you're doing, um, gives people some workshop or practice, but just, like, Get open education out there um, so the world can see it and, and like schedule something during this week. So around the world, there are open educators uh, doing the same thing. So, you know, pandemic's not going to stop this. And so most of this is going to be happening online. In previous years, it was often there might be like local events or workshops. Um, I know there were things like they would have students set up a desk on campus to tell people about the, the great benefits of having their, their um, open textbooks. And so, like, there's no limit as to what you could do or participate in for Open Education Week. So I'm just going to give a quick little uh, run through of, um, of uh, what's happening uh, this year. So <coughs> OpenEducationWeek.org is the site um, where things are going on. Um, if you want to contribute and do something, there's two ways, there's two things you can contribute. So 
Um, and it would be really great to have a really strong Arizona presence in here. So like make Arizona look good on their map. Um, so um, you can um, follow that link if you, after going through this, you say, like, I think I have something to do. Um, but, um, you know, you can figure out what the event is about and how to participate. Um, the thing that we have available on the site is like to see what's been done before. Um, one of the things, we have this library. So if you don't want to do a workshop or a presentation or a webinar because you're like, oh my God, I spend my life on these webinars, um, you can contribute a resource. That counts as something to do during Open Education Week. And we have uh, uh, international projects going back years here. And so you can look at things from 2018 and these are all just open ed resources that people have shared during Open Education Week in the past. So that is like a minimal thing you can share. You can also uh, filter by different tags and you can find ones in different language. Like if you really want to know the things that are going on in Burmese, that is in there. But um, the library is a resource. It's always there. Um, so if you want to participate in Open Education Week, just, you know, come back, you know, to the front page. Um, when you go to the contribute button, um, they'll give you the information, uh, how to go, how to submit an entry. There's two kind of things that we're going to ask you for. Well, they're going to ask you about who you are. Um, and it's going to be whether you're going to um, create an activity that happens at a date and time or an ongoing one, or if you're just going to contribute a resource. So. I strongly um, urge you, it would make me look good with my organization if I got a lot of people in my webinar uh, to do something. So, you know, Debbie could contribute all the resources that have been done for this conference. Uh, that would be a great thing to have in there. Um, it'd be a great thing to have some of the open textbooks that you're working on. It'd be a great thing to have examples of what how this has helped your students as a resource to put in there. So they can be pretty small as to what you contribute um, as a resource. Um, you'll find a schedule. Now, these are things that are gonna be going on at certain um, days and times during the week. So March 1st to March 5th. And the neat thing about um, our tech folks, um, uh, Yure and Mario, is that we have this worked up so you don't have to do any time zone conversion. So you're seeing my time zone, I'm one hour later than you. So um, you can go through and see things that are going on to your local current time. And so um, you can filter it by whether it's an online event, um, local events or ones that are happening in person where that's possible and anytime or ongoing. And so you can see that they also um, have little indicators um, for the language because this is an international event, um, where it's taking place. And so you can sort of hopefully get a sense that um, there are things uh, coming from Europe, from Asia, from India, from South America. Um, and so there are going to be people presenting in various languages and interest areas together. And so we just want to see as much stuff here as possible. The, the anytime activities, again, these are things that you can go and do um, at any time. So online book display, questions of the day, OER resources. Um, and there'll be more coming along as we go into uh, March 1st. Um, the other part that's new this year, and this has sort of been my project, is we have uh, a community space that um, we've been running at OE Global. So um, this is a, an open platform where you can engage in conversations about things going on. You can ask questions. 
Um, we would really like people uh, to come during the week and sort of, because it's a distributed event and you can't go to everything and you can't see everything that's going on, especially local events, it'd be great if you participated in something during Open Education Week. You came here and you said, wow, I went to this great you know, workshop that was in Burmese. I couldn't understand a thing, but look at these links that I found. Or um, this was a fantastic resource that's been um, developed uh, at University of Arizona. And so I think everybody in the world should see what their library is doing. So um, sharing, and I saw that in the comments already, um, open education is really critical. And then in this do category, um, we actually have a place where if you want to create an activity, you can host it in our uh, platform. And so we had one that just came out of a comment. Um, I think it was a discussion on um, the CCC OER list about some issues that happen when someone who's created um, open license content um, that is licensed, no derivatives, what happens when they die? And so very interesting question about like the afterlife um, management of intellectual rights for materials that are open and maybe they shared with a, a, um, a license that doesn't allow remixing. So it's a great place to have discussions. Um, this uses a platform called Discourse, which is just an interactive uh, discussion space. So uh, again, um, uh, if you want to get, um, like if you want to create badges and logos, use our materials, create flyers. Um, uh, our designer, Mario, makes all these available, all open license. Um, but again, um, make me look good. Get involved with Open Education Week. Even if you just like tweet things out, like or just suggest it to your colleagues that they should participate. Um, you don't have to share or produce anything. It's just more important that you participate in the activities going on that week. And there's definitely a lot going on. Um, and again, if uh, my colleague Liz Ayada is out there, um, you know her possibly through CCC OER. Um, and Lisa Young is, is one of the board members for that organization. Um, so we, we generally usually have, and uh, Matthew's been involved, and so we get a strong participation um, from Arizona in this. But um, yeah, make Arizona look really strong and powerful uh, during Open Education Week um, because y'all are doing stuff that uh, people should know about. And so this is a chance uh, to put it out there to the world.